the Suicide Squad, Anno 1800 and the Bart Bonte Collection. This is staying in. I feel like I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm running behind. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. I've had such a busy last few weeks. It's been lovely, obviously, uh, because obviously, Chris, you popped down with Sam. I did, yeah. Um, and that was lovely. We had a lovely time. It was very nice. A whistle stop tour. Whistle stop tour. It was part of your UK tour. Yeah. Yeah, our arena tour. Um, the <laughs> so obviously, you know, you were, you went to go and see Dan. You went to come and see me. You went to go and see family. Yeah. Which was the best? Oh, Ooh. I knew you were going to ask me this. I knew you were going to ask me this. Well, I mean, I think, and this is, this is I know a cop out, obviously, because I'm not obviously going to pick one person over the other because. Okay. Just say family. Like anyone who does an arena tour, you do not want to yeah. burn certain bridges. No, you don't want to burn like, any bridges. Cardiff! This was the best. And then like yeah. Macclesfield, you rock. Well, I had a lovely time. I mean, it was lovely. It was just lovely to stay at um, Dan's new house I've not seen mm-hmm. and to hang out with his kids and playing football. And we had lots of sand ice creams. I remember that in the garden outside. That was really lovely. Uh, I also got to go on the VR. I got to be Batman at Dan's, Pete. Mm-hmm. Um and then I got to do VR on my knees, which apparently is the only way to do VR on your knees. No, no, I think it's it's important to say that because uh, you did play some VR and you played super hot uh, VR. Super hot. There is no, there is no requirement to uh, be on your knees. Um, in fact, it works better if you're not on your knees. Right. Um, however both yourself and Sam both felt the need to just kind of crumple into a heap on the floor and try and just flail about, right. um, which was hilarious to watch. Yeah, and I'm glad chose the video that he did of me doing that because I felt that was the one that painted me in the most positive light that is on our Instagram page. You looked rather panicked, I have to say. The, 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 the video is on our Instagram feed and uh, you, you looked somewhat kind of panicked as if you were in real life being attacked by yeah. people. I was very furtive, definitely. And I think I think it was two reasons. One, because at that particular point where Sam snapped that video of me, I was in cover. But it was also Dan. It was a. It was that. It was the cover. But B. I realised when I was playing Batman VR just beforehand that I came very very close with my grapple gun of wiping out all the ornaments on your mantelpiece. And at one point, I remember I hit your lampshade above. You did. You did. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, but you were so you were so quiet, Dan. I think you'd be a very good driving instructor. <laughs> Just simply because nothing flapped in Pete. If 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 Sam and I, if Sam, you know, had been doing what we were doing in my living room, I would be conscious of house plants, books, uh, mugs, everything just going everywhere. Yeah. You know, Dan has got you know, it's a mantelpiece of treasured memories. There's pictures on the wall, and ah, oh, we're just going hell for leather, me and Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just to survive, it's that fight or flight response, and I think that's what VR does to you, really. But I mean, I've often seen Dan as a bit of a druid in terms of like you know sageliness and wisdom. He's got the look about him as well now. Also, the look to go with it now, yeah. So I've done it, really. So yeah. I've, I've done this. <laughs> it's I've, finally. That's why I've grown out. my hair the way I have. <laughs> but you know, I think that's. I think you've got to have an element of calm when you've got a VR set in your house. Uh, and you know, potentially a kid running around 
that you might hoof. Well, I, I don't tend to play kind of hoofing games when he's running around. There's kind of there's an element of sensibleness that goes into the, into that. Uh, I'm I'm just perhaps I'm just very aware of my surroundings mm. when I do put on the headset, which blocks out all of my perception. Have you ever damaged anything or like hurt yourself at all doing VR? No. Um, because I, I am very aware there's like in my, in my living room there's like a square space that kind of does fit it quite nicely oh yeah compared to me and Sam Pete Dan was just this incredibly pensive relaxed chess player of a super hot um, player well I one thing I really enjoyed was because uh, obviously we, we when we played the original super hot like probably a decade ago now I've got it on my switch light it's brilliant yeah on the P well we played it on the PC it was like a free game yeah, we played that Game Jam game version. Yeah, so that was just on PC, and so whenever you move the mouse, the, the game moved forward. I think this VR version is is the best way to play it. It's the, it's the, it's the most fun to play it. Um, but I kept on saying to you guys, don't forget, like, if you move, everything's going to speed up. And so I would just watch like Sam and Chris just flailing their arms around, and obviously everything's mm. then really fast. And so when I do it, I'm very still. And so I move very slowly because I'm watching where the bullet's coming from. Mm. And so it just appears that I'm just this kind of wise fellow moving so subtly. But it's kind of, no, no, I just remember that the game is much easier if you don't run around and flail about. Yeah. Sam turned to me and he said, how? I said, he's beginning to believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we did that. That was lovely. And then we went down to Shares Wellington in uh, Bristol. It was really lovely to go down. I love Bristol to pieces, a beautiful city. Uh, and it, again, a whistle stop, so it was just one night um, there. But we had, um, like in Warwick, had some fantastic food. We ha- went to an incredible, incredible vegan junk food place. Yeah. Uh, vegan fast food place, which was amazing, called Satan's Corner, Dan. Satan's Corner. Wow, that, that just makes me want to go. Good. Sounds both very dark and very twee simultaneously. Yeah, and it was really good. And we, did, we didn't we did do the challenge, Dan, in case you're wondering, that Pete was trying to rope us into, which will... <sighs> what, what does the challenge entail, Peter, again? Well, basically, there's a, a spicy food-eating contest that if you pay, like, 25 quid or something, then you get a, a spicy burger and some spicy fries, which the source of them uses this, like, 1.5 million Scoville chili sauce um and um uh yeah the whole thing is meant to be just like super super hot basically ironically uh, uh and um yeah uh and uh it's labeled as five flame symbols out of five um we bought i say we i mean me i bought some uh something's called satan's gravy or the devil's gravy or something like that and that was two flames out of five uh, on the thing, and let me tell you, I am really glad well, I didn't do that five uh, five flame challenge because those two flame ones were like, oh my goodness me, this is very very warm, and I'm not, very, uh, I, I'm I'm sort of, I've sort of dodged a bullet here. Pete, would you say that you are someone who likes spicy food? I like I like spicy food, but I like it when it's flavorful. I'm not like <laughs> I like hot. it when it's mild. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but I like it when it's like um, I don't like heat for heat's sake. I like heat because of, of flavor's sake. I like spice in burritos, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So I like, uh, that's that's pr- more where I sort of prefer my, my spice. Um, and um, But luckily, the person at the front desk when we walked in saw us coming 
and uh, she <laughs> she said, um, "I said, so how how, spi- how spicy is this spicy one?" And um, and she was like, she and like she was very very friendly, and then her her sort of face just slightly dropped and just went, "It's very very hot." And I was like, "Is it hot?" She was like, "It's very hot." And I said, "Okay, how hot is it?" And she said, "It's so." Uh, she said, "Well, have you got anything to do tonight or tomorrow morning?" And I said. Yeah, I got to go to work, and she was like, "I don't recommend it." Then <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." She was like, "It's probably not worth the stomach cramps." And I was like, "Oh, oh, what okay. is though?" Yeah, I don't know. Well, well, the prize, which is getting your photo on the wall and a T-shirt, because you'll have to change. I mean, that's not a massively amazing prize. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, right. To become known as one of the few in Bristol that's eaten that. That, that meal and finished it. And it was quite a rogues gallery. There was quite a lot of pictures up there, surprisingly. Yeah. And not all of the same person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spicy Jim, who just comes back every single weekend. Obviously, we did loads of lovely things while you were down. Nice food. Tick. Nice uh, walking. Tick. Yeah. The, the walking was nice. Weather, favourable. Yeah. Um, lots of places explored. I mean, I have to say, um, if this were a competition, and life is a competition, so let's make it one, Dan's walking uh, was slightly more favourable because he um, took us to somewhere where Chris and I hadn't been before, whereas Pete, <laughs> uh, even though telling us that we'd never been to this place before and he was taking us somewhere new and exciting, when we arrived there, both me and Chris turned to each other and went, yeah, yeah, we, we've been here before, Pete. No, no, this is, this is not entirely <laughs> accurate. I took you, I took you to, I, admittedly, I took you to the same place again because yeah. we decided to visit the wonderful Camera Obscura. Well, you say in- we as if we all had some sort of voting yeah, as 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 host, you determine what what happens, Pete. Yeah, and and it was a great time. We went into the camera obscura. We saw an old camera, and then basically uh, we also went into the caves and we saw um, rocks. You nearly fell over. Nearly fell over. Um, so there was lots of all of that sort of stuff. But admittedly, where that was was places that we'd been before. So it was by the rock slide, the natural ancient rock slide that's in Bristol. It's quite famous to locals. Uh, and so we had, had a little slide down there. That was quite nice. Yeah. Um, got, got some footage of the chaos. Uh, and now to get there, mm. I'd forgotten the way to get there. Yeah. yeah. So and I did take us to a new place that you've not been before. You did. Yeah, that was that was by accident. Yes. Yeah. And and do you yeah. know how I knew that, Dan? Was that Pete whenever I asked Pete which where do we go next, he would always begin every sentence with I reckon <laughs> <laughs> If I sat if my sat nav did that every time. <laughs> Probably, probably over here. It's probably this way. I reckon. But, you know, it got the steps in. Um, nice bit of cardiac exercise to, you know, keep... keep cardiac keep, exercise. Yeah, is yeah. that right? Um, cardiac arrest, I think it was. Yeah, wasn't it? Well, it oh, sounds right. a lot yeah. more <laughs> aggressive than I think you're intending. But yeah. Cardio would have worked, perhaps. Oh, right, all right. Cardio exercise. So I did all that. That was good. Um, and um, we also played some wonderful board games. We did. Um, we played, we, we, we were at the White Lion, which is, a, a again, a quite famous pub in, in Bristol. Mm-hmm. Overlooking 
the suspension bridge. Well, I got there late because I had to go to the loo and you and Chris had nicked both the seats that looked towards the suspension bridge. So I just had a yeah. nice view at the, at the, at the bar. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you poos, you lose. Um, uh, so we don't do t-shirts, do we? That should be. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You know, we had a lovely point there, and we played a game called Kraken uh, Salad. Just cockroach salad. Cockroach salad. Yeah, uh, that was good. That was re- that was very good. Um, and we played. Oh goodness, we played Anno eighteen hundred. We did. Which was which was a beast of a game. It it, it is well it, it, to some extent it is, but actually I find it a really nice relaxing game. Anno. Oh yeah, for sure. But like, there's a million chits in that thing, yes. and like, there's a lot to think about. It's a it's 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 quite a. Uh, it, I found it a, quite a hefty game for, and and admittedly the theme's quite hefty as well, which is basically like trade in the you know in the 1800s um uh, between uh, between powers but the um but there's a lot you know it takes up a very large bit of real estate on the yeah. table you know i don't think we could have played that on my old table you know i've got a table now that extends out and we needed to extend but yeah but this is you might recognize the name um if you are um a video game fan um, top fact that Pete told me is that the thing with the Anno games is the numbers always add up to nine. Yeah, is that, is that right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a series by Ubisoft that's been around for a while. It's all mm-hmm. about trade, and yeah, all of the numbers Anno, whatever. Uh, it's always basically four numbers: sixteen oh two, eighteen hundred, that kind of thing. All the numbers always add up to. If you add them all up individually, they all always add up to nine. Do you know why that is? It's, I don't know, actually. Why is it nine? I guess maybe they did it like once or twice and then they were like, maybe this is okay. Maybe we could just keep doing this. It'll be a nice little in-joke. Because at first I thought it was a reference to like 18xx games, which are a thing in, in board games. But is that, yeah, is, that no. not, is that just like, this is just the naming convention? And Yeah, as far as, as, far as I know, yeah. It's, okay. um, yeah, so 1602, 1404, 2070, they all, all, all add up to nine. Fair enough. So, um, yeah, so you might have heard of the video game before, um, which is very interesting because when we did the unboxing for this on our Instagram page, it's quite funny that, like, on the front of the box it says, Anno 1800, and then it's got the definitive article, the, and then board game, (laughs) just in case (laughs) anyone thinks they've gone back to the 1990s where they used to sell um, PC games in those massive boxes. (laughs) Eight discs. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a game. It's um, I kind of want to say it's a civilization game, but it's not one like um, like for example, um, civilization. civilization, yeah, or um, through the ages, or even something like Imperium, which we spoke about on this podcast before. It's kind of it's not about domination and assess- essentially like um, beating everyone around you into submission. It's all very um insular and um sort of individual and the things that you that you are doing are also not very combative or indeed very uh, aggressive either there is a s- sort of a little smattering of that that may that that 
that might be going on in some instances mm. with the mechanics. But this is kind of a civilization game which is more concerned with not really expansion and not really um, sort of um, domination, but instead just making the people that happen to live in your um, your little island happy. And I think that sort of is whenever I'm sort of introducing this game to new to, to new people, that's kind of what I I start with in terms of like the teach. Because I think like that sets the tone for the game. Like there is nothing really like aggressive. There's nothing really like combative or really sort of in your face about this game. You're just trying to make your population happy by giving them what they want. And that thing might be sausages and t-shirts. It might be cigars and... Um, Kitchen roll. Yeah. It, and so it makes for a really pleasant and I want to say sedentary and it sounds like a negative, but I feel like, you know, it is a, a, a gentle experience i mean it requires a lot of thought right like yeah. this this it, it's it's difficult and it is a euro game ultimately like it's mm-hmm. not a game that is particularly interested in taking points away from others you know it it and it does require quite a lot of introspection of thinking okay if i do if i because it's got that mechanic hasn't it whereby you've essentially got workers and once you've placed the workers from the top of the board into a slot at the at the you know the rest of the board that you've got and each person's got a separate board themselves mm-hmm. Um, you kind of have to use all of those pieces and the kind of most efficient way through that is to use all of those pieces and then at the end call them all back to their starting positions by essentially skipping your go uh, by um, by having a party or whatever it is that it's called. Um, and um, so, so you do, because of that, because there is that essentially missing a go to kind of reset what you're doing, there is naturally a desire to not have to do that too often and because of that you do have to think quite a bit in advance okay if i do that this time around then next time i'll do this and then next time i'll do this and then if that all works out then on the fourth one Mm -hmm. i can uh, do the final thing that'll all have added up to this and then i can reset the thing i've done the most maximum stuff i can do and i think that means it makes for a slightly quieter slightly more introspective Mm -hmm. sort of a game because essentially what you're doing is building what is known as a tech tree. So Daniel, you'll kind of recognize what that is from, you know, any sort of video games a bit like, I think even God of War and Horizon may have had them. Definitely some of the Assassin's Creed's had them. And civilizations in general, the idea that you have your abilities, your 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 progress through the game um, is defined by what you've kind of unlocked before it and you choose and you can choose certain paths to define what your character is so if you want to be like a stealthy um poison based assassin you've got to start building on this branch of the tree or if you want to be like a ranged assassin you've got to be building on this part of the tree and anno works in a similar way where you look at your population and you go right these guys need a lot of sausage. It's true. Um, there were a lot of guys that needed a lot of sausage. Like, I need to be producing a lot of soap. So how do I make a soap factory? Right, I need pigs and coal. Brilliant. I can I can do that. And then, like, 
once you've done that, you go, right, I've got a soap factory, which means that if I build another one of these factories, I can then make this good, which will allow me to make this person happy. But then I need to make this person happy and they need X, Y, and Z. And to do that, I need to build. So you're always, as Pete was saying, you're always kind of almost working backwards, looking at those things, looking at those tasks you need to fulfill and deciding basically to use the, the literal tree analogy, deciding what branch you need to sort of either shoot off or reach to the end of in order to meet those to meet those requirements, or with really ever decreasing um, resources. So, how is the kind of the requirements of your people and stuff like that displayed and communicated back to you? So for each population cube that you have in front of you, they come with a card. A face will be depicted on that card. So, you know, if you're playing with st- uh, like little card stands like, like we were, it's a bit like you're playing Guess Who. Um, <laughs> they're all of that like kind of similar ilk of like slightly exaggerated um, sort of animated faces. I believe it's all of the assets are, are lifted straight from the game. So if you've played the game before, you would have seen these faces before. It certainly seems like a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. And then um, above that face will be this person wants T-shirts and watches. And um, when you fulfill that contract by basically being able to take your workers and place them in those factories that build those things, then that will get, they may give you like this one time buff that you can use, uh, but they will all give you victory points um, at the end of the game. And I know that one thing that we love to do was kind of look at the person on there and then make a quick snap judgment based upon what it is that they really wanted right away. The thing that would make them happiest most in the world was like a sewing machine and a, and a steam engine and then making a quick snap judgment of what kind of this character would, would be yeah. like. And, yeah. and the art is evocative enough just to really like all this, all this lady... <laughs> All this guy wants is a lot of sausage all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and I've got to say, like, I, you know, um, I I think that this is probably one of the most successful video game adaptations, uh, as in board game adaptations of a video game. I think this is a really, really smart uh, use of the of the IP. Like, I, uh, having played, uh, you know, a couple of the previous Anno video games, this board game gets that across really well it isn't the same thing like you aren't worried about trading routes particularly uh in terms of in terms of exactly what the route is that each of your ships is going to take and i know that sounds a little bit dry but trust me the video game is pretty good uh for for this sort of thing um but you do have to worry about how big is your fleet how quickly can you uh churn out boats uh do you have enough workers to be able to fulfill each uh, requirement that you have as you build out your town are you are you increasing the social standing from you know farmer to um uh, kind of more industrial worker to citizen to you know whatever it is mm-hmm. um and i was genuinely impressed actually at how how like how basically just how 
well they managed to capture the spirit of the video game because yeah. my, my understanding is um, and I, for, I do I do apologize but I've forgotten the name of the chap that's made this thing but Martin Wallace Martin Wallace and my understanding is that Martin Wallace is a bit of a a, 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 a a sort of brain box when it comes to making board games right he's pretty good yes. at this stuff yeah um what 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 had Martin done before this uh Martin had done <laughs> brass Lancashire brass Birmingham the ones that Come to right. mind straight away. Tinner's Trail, London. Oh yeah, London. So again, like you know, their mo seems to be fairly chunky, fairly hefty, real world ish uh, tabletop games, and 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 this feels like that. Yeah, and I think again, I think Sam Sam's right at describing this game. It's quite tricky because yes, it's chunky. There's lots of pieces, but in the same sense, although not the same epic sense a feast for odin if you look at it it's a very daunting prospect you've got this huge marketplace mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. tons of different tiles there um if you accept the fact that like a feast for odin you're not going to be accessing all of those tiles on that board mm-hmm. it's fine and what i really quite like about anno which i've not seen i don't think in any other civ kind of game is that yes there's that little bit of competition oh i was going to buy that Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always at least two of something there. There's slightly more of some in certain areas. But what I love is actually I go, okay, actually, I'm not going to buy that because I know Sam's going to buy that. And that's great because then I can just trade with Sam and then I can then buy what right. he he was planning to get next. And this interesting bit is that actually everyone's working along at times along the same tech tree route, but we're actually complementing each other. We're just each getting that next stage in the process really which i find really really interesting so there is that dash of competition there so you don't feel like you could all we could all go off into a separate room and play this game simultaneously right but at the same time there is that really lovely zen-like state and this is why dan sam and i were talking about this we think you would be brilliant at this dan yeah because yeah genuinely i i think this you would really find that satisfying to play because it is it it's the kind of engine building that i really quite like that um i I see smatterings of it a little bit in scythe as well that moving of cubes around back and forth and once you've got that routine down um it's a really 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 pleasant experience well i I think with these kind of games for me they always they do always tend to feel really dry and complex and you need to sit down and concentrate and focus and this is what we're going to do for the next six hours and we're all going to have a lovely time aren't we yes we are absolutely yeah yeah whereas listening to you guys talk about this one it does sound like you you have the cards with the people on it adding an element of kind of fun and enjoyment to a bit lightning i can imagine sitting there and having like my group of people in front of me and like developing like oh developing almost relationships with these these communities of people in front of me and then you talk about kind of not cooperative but kind of half cooperative of of seeing mm-hmm. how you can utilize what other people are doing for your own benefits in the knowledge that people are doing the same to you yeah and i think you're, you're probably right in saying that i do enjoy kind of by the sense of it kind of i would enjoy that aspect of s- very clearly seeing that progression and ticking off that level of progression as the game continues. So it's not just a case of I'm trying to just grind my way through this and at the end of it, I ended up in third place and like, oh, that wasn't great. Yeah. If I can see that progression going through, it's going to excite me to play more and more and try and push myself. So at the end, when I do finish third, I'm now happy about it as opposed to earlier when I'm, I was kind of just a bit kind of disappointed. 
yeah, it's become one of my favourites of of really like of recent times, just because of how like relaxing it is as a game, and and as and as Chris was saying, like you cannot you cannot refuse to trade with someone else. Like if you say you're trading and you've got the tokens to do it, you get to use their factories. And I think that's just like wonderful. It doesn't mean anyone's hoarding anything to themselves. It doesn't mean anyone's like is able to run away with it because we're all able to like visit each other's islands and take a little bit of what we need. And that makes everyone really gregarious and really helpful and generous. Like, you know, Chris will put his hand up and goes, right, who's got a bit of glass? And both me and Peter will be like, oh, we've both got glass factories. Come to our island. Come to our yeah. island. Like, and, it, and that's really, really nice. And like we played one game, Dan, where Chris, for whatever reason, just had all the cigarettes and all the champagne factories. So his island just became the one of cigarettes and champagne. And it was lovely that whenever we needed it, we were just like always popping over to Chris and he was there yeah, on this like party 1830. island. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's absolutely lovely. And I think despite the sort of daunting box, despite the daunting thing on the on the table, it's it's all there for a reason. And mm. I think it it's if you're looking for something which is relaxing but feels, you know, thematic and like exceptionally rewarding, this is a, this is a good option. Can I take you all back in time, please? Well, it depends how far. Like the last yeah, the last twenty minutes because that was pretty rough. Well, take <laughs> uh, let me take you back about fifteen, maybe twenty years. Okay, uh, I'm not very good with time or directions. But uh, two thousand and one, two thousand one. Yeah, sure. That that'll work. I reckon about two thousand and one. No, I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I was in I was in secondary school. Yeah, this is about the right amount of time. Do you remember you'd have um, you'd have the computer room and you'd go and you'd you'd go and lunch times maybe or in uh, in school breaks or or something like that. Or maybe when you came home, you rushed home to f- turn on your f- uh, your your dial up modem. Uh, <laughs> And you'd go and you'd go and play flash games. Did you ever play that? Did you ever do that? Did you ever play flash I remember, games? I remember playing things like um, was it Congregate? Yeah, Congregate. They're still around. Yeah, um, um, Congregate or going to Ebaum's World. Ebaum's World yeah. was my haunt. Yeah. I remember that being a, like a massive thing in like university, like yeah. early university time. That being a big thing. Yeah, that around that period of time. So like Weeble and Bob and Salad Fingers and and Homestar Runner and Magical Trevor. Magical Trevor, oh the peanut the the peanut butter jelly time guy. There were so there were lots of animations, but there were also lots of games. Do you remember that little chopper challenge where you'd have to like f- like have a little helicopter go through? It was like Flappy Bird before Flappy yeah, Bird. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, and then there was like Stick Death, uh, where you'd you'd have a little adventure with stick men, and they'd all just like kill each other. I remember there was ones that were like almost. Like not even games, but they were like you know, like Frog in a Blender. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Like that was re- toys. Yeah, basically, really like really weird thinking about it now. That like, you know, have you played Frog in a Blender? Oh my, oh like you know, you, pre- you press one, it just like whizzes around a little bit, and then and, yeah, and like and unbelievably, it's free, free <laughs> video games. Wow. <laughs> um, so. 
one of the um, uh, one of the kind of pioneers at the time, uh, and I did not know this until I picked up their collection. Um, mm. One of the pioneers at the time was a chap called Bart Bonte, and we've talked about Bart Bonte on this uh, on this yeah. podcast before multiple times. So this is the person that made uh, blue, red, pink, yellow, all the different color game apps, basically that are little. Um, Essentially, they're different levels, and use your phone to fill the screen the color uh, that the app is called. So, pink, you'll need to make sure that everything on that screen is the same shade of pink, and sure. you'll do that in a lot of different ways. Um, but I didn't know this, but but uh, because I don't think I played any of um, uh, Bart Bonte's games before I actually um, uh, played the mobile games. But it turns out they were a Flash developer for like years and years and years and years before all of this sort of stuff, and they were making some pretty well-regarded Flash games from what I can find. Um, and Flash died a year ago? Yeah, thereabouts. Mm. Um, and so they basically all of those Flash games now just don't exist. And there's been a mini wave of people bringing those games back and sort of porting them to proper PC games and releasing them um, as, as like little collections. So... Uh, the Bart Bonte collection is a game that I uh, picked up on Steam recently, and it's 28 Flash games put together in a single launcher with achievements. Um, so three star, you, uh, different sort of um, star ratings that you can get for uh, for progressing through certain amounts of the levels uh, or, or different areas or doing certain things, and then an achievement when you get those three stars, which is usually completing that game. Um, and... I had no idea that the the kind of games that uh, that Mr. Bonte has been making are very very different to the the puzzle games that were that are currently on mobile. Um, so I've been basically blitzing through these, and there's 28 of them, and it's it's bananas to kind of like go back and play Flash games, but hmm. as a and because I remember thinking, ah, oh, these are just kind of throwaway. These are kind of silly, you know, Flash games, whatever. I won't see that. I won't. I won't. You know, I won't care that they're gone. But actually, going back and playing this this collection, I realised that actually, no, there was a lot of value and a lot of like good memories built into those flash games. And um, there's a lot of amazing gameplay ideas going on in in this collection. Um, obviously, I won't list all of the all the actual games that are in here because you know you can just see that on the Steam page. And I'll, I'll pop a little I'll pop a little link in the uh, show notes where you can go and uh, click and see all this sort of stuff. But there were. The, the range of and breadth of ideas in this package is really, really cool to, to actually play. So there's a game called Factory Balls, uh, which is, uh, I, you know, is one of, the, I think, the more famous ones uh, that uh, they put out. Um, and I think probably it, it did well, potentially for discovery reasons. Like, you know, I think it's a, you know, it's a, when you're uh, young and silly and you can say the phrase factory balls, uh, it's probably um, quite fun for you, I would imagine. Uh, but they, he made four of those. Um, and the idea is basically that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a factory in which you are, you are trying to create specific types of balls. Um, and <laughs> the way that you do that is you, um, you're given a blank one, a blank sphere to begin with, and then you have to spray it uh, uh, a specific colour. So you do that, and then that's correct, and you've done that one. Great, level two. Cool. Well, you need to put a stripe in the middle this time around. But the way that you put a stripe in is there is you put the ball into this machine that puts a metal barrier 
over an area of the ball so that when you spray the whole thing, it misses that section. So actually what you need to do is you need to spray the whole thing the color that you want the stripe. Then you take that ball and you put it into the metal strip section so that it covers that section up. Then you spray the whole thing the outer color and then you take the metal strip off and then you've got a ball, a colored ball with two different colors on it with a stripe of that color in the middle and then you've moved on to the next level. And it just gets more and more and more complex from there. And uh, it's... It's it's brilliant. I, I, like I I don't want to I don't want to denigrate it by calling it a time waster, but that is what it is. It's a they are su it is a superb collection of time wasters, and the I think there's something quite there was something quite um, I don't want to say like uh, therapeutic about it, but it was really mm. nice to just have on like a podcast and listen to something and play these little flash games that are that are very straightforward in what you need to do but they are real thinkers in that you do need to sit there and like really kind of work it out as to what this puzzle really is there's also a load of escape room games which uh, he made um uh which i thought was really really cool so like finding a key uh, one of the games is called me and the key um and it's literally uh, an escape you know an old school you're stuck in a room and you need to solve puzzles to find a key to unlock a door to go to the next thing like think the room like basically the room was like the fancy pants version of all of those flash games essentially um when it came out many and, years and ago and pete are you are you playing them like one at a time are you playing them individually and think okay i've had my little fix now or with the collection are you treating it almost like tapas like um are these games i imagine these are quite short run times durations these games so is there a tendency to play a bunch of them yeah yeah exactly that's that's exactly it and and because they're all kept within this one launcher i can go okay i fancy something a little bit puzzly cool i'm gonna go and do four or five levels of um sugar sugar uh, where i have to draw lines to have little pixel bits of sugar enter a container uh, because I've only got a certain amount of sugar that I can pour down this thing, and I have to get X amount of quantity of this sugar into this pot by drawing this little line. I think I, I think that's what I like the sound of this most, is that one of the great things about sites like Congregate was that you click on a game and then there'd always be, you know, another suggestion. Or, you know, why don't you try yep. playing this? So the fact that, like, they're in their own little launcher helps simulate that experience some degree is that right yeah i completely agree with you and i think the other the other thing that this gets across that i think we forget about video games sometimes is that most video games when you sit down at a console or a pc or something like that and you sit down and play it there's a tutorial there's tutorializing yeah. there's yeah. loads of the the developers spend a huge amount of time popping up little windows that say hey make sure to press a to do this yeah. and uh it's and when you go back and play these Flash games, um, it's really surprising how straightforward, how quickly they get you into the game, right? Like, so when you're playing the Escape Room games um, or you're uh, playing Duck, for example, um, it's very... The, the actual interactions that you have are very straightforward. You are clicking on the screen and... That's it. You know, it's all played with a mouse. Or 
there's a there's a few very sort of basic platformer puzzle platformers and it's really straightforward okay oh this is what it does to move oh this is oh, I, oh i've completed level one brilliant level mm-hmm. two oh i need to think about it a little bit more there's never tutorializing there's never like treating you like a dummy it's just here you go here's a here's a fun little selection of puzzles go and work it out and Schla- i like the idea of like pete's version of like someone who goes down to their wine cellar to have a look what wines they're going to ha- enjoy this evening. And he looks, oh, no, that's a 1960s Chateau. No, 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 I'll have one of these. No. Whereas for Pete, it's kind of like, let's see, now what delectable little game will I play this evening? That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, oh, I'll have a little nibble of that. Oh, I'll have a little nibble of that. Nim, 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 nim. And, it, it, you know, it's like that, it's like that uh, scene, uh, you know, uh, it's like that breakfast bar scene in the hotel, the continental breakfast. You know, <laughs> yeah. tiny plum. I can I can try everything. I can try lots of different ideas. It is sort of like video game preservation, but also video game archaeology at the same time. Like we're we're kind of going back and looking at this these quote unquote ancient games from like you know <laughs> a decade and a half, two decades ago. But annals of history. Yeah, exactly. Right. But like. And, but it's 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 great that they're being maintained, and it's it's great that people can go back and and have that have that moment. I think if you picked up Hypnospace Outlaw based on yeah. my recommendation, this is this is the next one to move on to. Sam and I went to the cinema again. We did a few weeks ago, <laughs> and guess how many people were in there with us? Um. Well. Uh, Okay, things 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 are starting to open up, aren't they? You know, things are starting to open up. Can I can I can I give you the context around? Yeah, go on. It? So we went to uh, an inner city cinema. Okay. So not like one on the outskirts, somewhere weird. Like you know, I don't want to say, but you know. Um, and we went to go and see um, the Suicide Squad, a new movie, a Hollywood a, blockbuster, a Hollywood blockbuster, a brand new movie. Things are starting to open up. People are going crazy mm-hmm. to do things like they used to do things. It's a it's rated fifteen, I think. So yes. you know, a broad a broad selection of the audience is able to go. Pete, I feel like we've been taken down a path here. Yeah, what? The, the, there's not the true path. What time did you go and see it? Okay, okay, um, ten forty a.m. <laughs> right okay yeah so uh so how 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 much leg room did you have uh pretty much all of it wow. in, in my mind you've kind of as you've explained all of them like my my kind of prediction is like okay higher 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 and then at the last second 10 40 plummets down to the bottom yeah, there was no one who's there. watching movies at 10 40 so you went to see the Suicide the Squad. The Suicide Squad. That's exactly. It's, what did it's, you think of Suicide Squad? Uh, hmm. I thought it was one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh, okay. Oh dear. Not, I don't, not not wanting to mince my words too much. Please, don't. I, I'm in agreement with you. Um, what briefly because we're going to talk about the Suicide yes, Squad. What was so bad about Suicide Squad? Okay, two words: Peter Winnington, <laughs> studio and intervention. <laughs> Uh, that was a primary one. I mean, obviously, there's you know certain directorial choices, certain bits of its mise en scène. It was that particular period where all DC films wanted to be was very monochromatic looking, very dark looking, um, and they were trying to at that point world build. They were trying to catch up with Marvel, and what's really refreshing about this new film from James Gunn is that 
Superman is mentioned once. We don't get any mentions of anyone else. We don't see anyone else outside of the Suicide Squad. And that's refreshing. Now that DC has recently started to say, actually, we just need to do standalone stuff. I think this world building stuff needs to kind of peter out a little bit. For me, it's become a little bit more interesting. It is literally like he's just been given um, kind of full control of the IP. And this is a very different Suicide Squad to the previous one, although it does strangely maintain some of the same actors. Um, So it's a very strange one. It is a kind of a reboot, but it's what some people would call, I suppose, a soft reboot, um, Mm -hmm. which means you don't have to have seen the air film. Right. Um, So for those who don't know what Suicide Squad is, um, as a means to shorten their prison sentences, uh, you've got a group of comic book villains that generally people haven't really often heard of prior to the film. They're kind of like D-list comic book villains that are grouped together. Um, They volunteer for this thing called Task Force X. Um, And the deadly nature of these missions they go on um, has given that team the nickname of the Suicide Squad. And in this particular instance, you have a Suicide Squad that's made up of Peacemaker, King Shark, Polka Dot Man, Ratcatcher 2, and they're led by Bloodsport uh, to destroy a laboratory in South America that has come under the control of an anti-American regime. And that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the premise, really. So, that, so uh, to some degree, like the Avengers, but even more so, every time you get a different Suicide Squad, because it's basically handpicking different inmates, for those who make it back alive, they may make it into the next one. And you get a little bit of time taken off your sentence. You have a, a chip embedded at the base of your skull, which means if you don't play ball at any point, somebody in the control room can press a button and blow your head off. So that's what allows them to keep playing ball. And so they're, they're kept on a long leash, essentially. I think two of the best castings at a comic book film are within the DC universe. And that is Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and yeah. um, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. Yeah. She is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and this for me, I was talking to Sam about this afterwards because obviously we'd seen it together and we didn't want there to be an awkward silence when we were walking back to the car. <laughs> um, this felt to me like a video game movie. What I mean by that is it's segmented into lots of different acts with these really creative title cards. But it felt like I'd just watched somebody put together all the cutscenes from a game hmm. and... And so it felt like, oh, I felt like I've just, I could just, each bit felt like a level, like, get, you know, getting to the island. Okay, meeting up with the rebels. I'm not going to go for the entire plot completely, but you get the picture. It's getting from this point to this point to this point to this point. Oh, we've got to do this. Oh, the change of plan. We've got to go here. And it felt very much like a video game. It's a very colorful, dynamic, um, and Gunn calls it a war film. I mean, I don't know, really. I, I maybe I haven't watched enough war films. It felt more like a kind of an interesting kind of quest narrative of antiheroes, really. And and I think it's 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 major fault. And I know we don't often like to talk about fault. Is that actually to some degree it it picks the gag over the emotional kind of beats. And there are a few instances in this where you start to kind of get very close to the characters, particularly towards the tail end of it, and. Gun will deliberately undercut that, um, f- just for the sake of a joke. It's it's getting tiresome. That like it really is that like um, that sort of pacing of a joke and how it's like the the um, 
the teaser trailer for the new Spider-Man film came out and there's a bit in it where someone's telling Stephen Strange not to do something and he says, no, I won't. Wink. And it's just like all the films now just tend to have that like that same sort of like sense of humor and especially it's especially egregious in like in the trailers obviously it's slightly a bit more diluted when you watch the when you watch the films but you know there are certain scenes in marvel films um and there's certain scenes in um and in the marvel tv shows and definitely in suicide squad where something really really serious is happening and you and it's so distracting because i'm just sitting there waiting for someone to say something funny right. and someone to like go like or a character to turn up and like be really inappropriate or you know, just get in the way and like diffuse attention, and that happens like a dime a dozen in su- in the Suicide Squad. Aside from that, and no film other than Birds of Prey really knows what to do with Harley Quinn. Um, yeah, she is very much the DLC to the video game movie aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, if it it just feels like she's such perfect casting, Margot Robbie, and and she's such a an interesting character that it was kind of like, well, we're making the Suicide Squad first character, Harley Quinn. What are we going to do with her? No idea, but she's got to be right. in this film. And um, she definitely isn't as over-sexualized and as objectified as she was in Suicide Squad. She does, as Chris said, she does feel like, all right, what we've got to do with Harley now and you could cut her out of the movie and the movie would still exist and be absolutely fine. But she's just, you know, Margot yeah. Robbie, such a fantastic, like, presence on the screen. And I guess, like, James Gunn's stick also becomes a bit tiresome. Like, the, ba- the my main problem with the first Suicide Squad was, like, DC going, right, we've paid all this money for all these stars, Will Smith and Margot Robbie and and uh joel kinnaman and then they were just like but we can't kill him what do you what do you mean we can't we can't kill him off we paid all this more what do you mean the suicide squad no 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 david don't don't kill them just just you know we'll 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 think of something and it was like completely like there was no tension there because because you just knew that they weren't going to die because it's will freaking smith whereas james gunn he was announcing all these stars like you know peter capaldi and sylvester stallone and you know all these like A-listers and it was just like, there's going to be death, basically. These people are going to be killed. And that happens to such an extent that it almost creates exactly the same feeling that it does in the first Suicide Squad, where there is no tension about (laughs) who is going to, you know, who is going to die. And every single death is so gory and um, sort of overbearing and over the top. Even that becomes a little bit like, all right, yeah... (laughs) The movie feels like it's running out of steam. All that to one side. <laughs> All that to one side. It is a great film. Yeah. Like it is, you know, and for it has to live under the shadow of Suicide Squad, but it manages to do everything it can to pull itself away from that and stand on its own two feet as like a really good comic book movie. I one one of the things that kind of with the with the original the the previous Suicide Squad film that bothered me was I never got a sense, really, that the characters were bad people. Mm. The film did a lot of work to humanise them. It, it gave Deadshot, the Will Smith character, gave him a daughter he cared about. Not, I'm not saying that wasn't that's not in the in the comic books, but it 
push the fact that he was a father kind of thing, wanting to sympathize with him. Whereas these are also supposed to be really dangerous and like villains. I never in the, I never with kind of the first film got a sense of that maybe once or twice, maybe with kind of killer croc or something like that. You get a little bit of that because all he ever does is really kills people. So in, in this film, do you have that again? Do we, do we try and sympathize with them or do, are they actually bad guys that are just being put into this situation? Um, there's a degree of complexity there. I mean, what I quite like about this particular ensemble is there's a real range. There are people in this squad who are very bad people. I mean, you see in the trailer, John Senna's peacemaker. Cena. Cena. I, yeah, I saw it as well. Um, who said, um, I I cherish peace of all my heart. I don't care how many men, women and children I have to kill to, to get it. Um, and yeah, he is just psychopathic. He's vile. But then you go from that range to someone like Ratcatcher 2, who really is the heart of this film, who... Daniela Melikor, who's just phenomenal. I just could not take my eyes off her performance. She's phenomenal. Who is in that more misunderstood kind of category, really. So you get the full range here. And it's really interesting then that you've kind of got, that they're kind of weighing each other up against each other, saying, oh gosh, I, I thought you were the crazy one. And then Polka Dot Man turns and says, yes, I, actually, I am compared to Peacemaker. <laughs> So one of my one of my favorite things about when we were traveling yeah. um, is that um, is that while traveling on the M5, um, Chris and I went past a landmark that I've never seen before, and we we've traveled this road road a couple of times, and I've never no. you know come across you know what this what this landmark is, and it turns out like I think the reason why it's so weird is that it doesn't have any sort of markation or demarcation on its side or any of its like faces like it is just a green and white building with a big chimney sticking out the back of it there's no like mainland energy or any oh, sort right. of like yeah, I see. it almost looks like a, a like a transformer that's halfway between transforming in you know, from a, an incinerator, which is what it is, into a robot. So it's, this is the the Javelin Park incinerator um, along the M5 as you go towards, towards Bristol. And basically, it's just like a place where they burn rubbish <laughs> because we're running out of places just, to put it. Just because I feel like you're doing Bristol dirty here. There are many fine things to do in Bristol. That That is not the the landmark that I would associate with Bristol. It's, it's what I now think of when I think of <sighs> Bristol. Well, there are quite a few people that would disagree with you because, and this is kind of the discovery of our little trip, was that whenever you like search for anywhere on Google Maps or enter in like a business or a restaurant that you may be going to, like it will throw up some reviews that people that people may have left of those of those certain locations. This is also true of incinerators alongside the M5. <laughs> apparently, of course it is. Um, so oh God. the rest of the rest of the trip was then peppered with me reading out these wonderful reviews of the Javelin incinerator along the M5, and I'd love to share some some of you some of them with you now. Okay, please do. Um, so this is from Rory O. Okay, five stars. <laughs> out of five I should say out of five okay here we go bold Ugh. striking beautiful 
but above all else, functional. Truly a modern take on incineration. The way the eye is drawn to the building, past the detritus of cars on the rain-sodden M5, is breathtaking. Don't listen to some of the other reviewers. They're probably part of the incineration watcher's front. Not a purist like us in the watcher's front of incineration. DM me for more info. I think he was the architect of that building. <laughs> it's, that, it's that last sentence. Yeah, it's that last sentence, yeah. isn't it? Tom, five stars. I'm extremely happy to have seen this incinerator. Although I've not been inside, I can only marvel at the stunning architecture. I already plan to come back next year. But, but, it's, but he's not going in. So his plan next year for his summer holiday is to drive down the M5 down a small patch past an incinerator. <laughs> my my favourite one, the loads and loads of five stars, the cultural centre of Gloucestershire life, a true British classic that should be celebrated for years to come. What is going um, on? Why have people got too much? T- there are things to do. Finally, something to put Bristol on the map. Ugh. I think my favourite one is the four star from Dan Jay, who says, fantastic modern decor and a good solution for the trillions of nappies that threaten to overwhelm our landfills. Drink selection was a bit lacking, so giving four stars. Drink selection? (laughs) They have a... Firstly, they have a drink selection. (laughs) What drinks do they sell at the Javelin Incinerator, Dan? Uh, Flaming Sambucas. Good. Good. Mm, Yeah, that is good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I got it there first. Yeah, you did that well. So as we would then, you know, having laughing and giggling, giggling at this, just having fun, Chris noticed that we were coming up up to the Michael Wood service station. So then immediately, this is like my new thing now. Have a look. Let's see some of the reviews for this Michael Wood. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> service station. Ray kicks butts. He's a local guide. 59 reviews, one star. When the sign says KFC, and... <laughs> all you've been thinking about all day is thick chicken gravy and dunking a fillet burger in it while ramming in fries by the handful (laughs) and you rock up and they're shut dirty lying disappointing bar stewards change the bloody sign Wasn't 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 there one we read Sam that just said bring a credit card? Yeah, Mark, Mark Anthony Birch, local guide, 126 reviews, four stars, nice and clean, but bring your credit card. <laughs> what? I don't. There's so much more people can do with their lives. There's so much more. It was just, it was the specific, you know, bring a credit card. Bring like, a credit card. <laughs> you know, not even a debit card. No. Like, you're going to have to pay this off in installments. Yeah. This is... <laughs> you're going to spend so much money here. <laughs> oh, yeah. My new favourite thing. So that was it. That was another episode of the Staying In Podcast. I was there, Sam Turner. That was Peter Willington, Daniel Frost, and my fateful companion in the sidecar, Christopher Darby. Um, on the subject of reviews why not leave us a review I mean we don't have a landmark yet in the UK but I'm sure there are tons of places 
where you can um, leave us a review for just listening to this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, if if you can't leave us a review, um, then please just um, tell someone about this podcast. Just just share that you're enjoying something lovely uh, with them and um, hopefully they may listen to it too and then pass on that good word. And that helps us grow and helps us bring more loveliness to a lot more people around the world. It's a great thing. As usual, if you've missed anything covered on the show, then there are details in the show notes. But always, we have our curated pages on Board Game Geek and also on Steam. So any video games or board games we've spoken about in this episode, you can catch up and find them out there. Obviously, Chris is very hard at work curating Spotify playlists for anything that we've covered that contains music shoved into one of those playlist that we've created there uh, details will be on our twitter feed somewhere or just get in touch with us either personally on twitter or instagram or facebook or you can just uh, mail stayinginpod at gmail.com or just search for staying in pod on instagram twitter facebook all of those places uh, in, in fact talking of instagram that's a great place to check up on what we've been doing we put up a few pictures of mine and Chris's road trip up on there a few videos as well uh, there's also unboxings for games like Anno 1800 so you can get a bit more an idea about what we were talking about in the podcast over on Instagram too uh, but for now though um, that's it from us we'll be back in a couple of weeks or so well no we definitely will be because we like to keep on schedule do carry on taking care of yourself and others around you remember uh, do whatever you need to do that makes you feel safe and comfortable while also making others around you feel safe and comfortable that's a really important uh, detail Uh, if you want to get in touch with us please do ask us a question or offer us some um, maybe something that you've been enjoying that we should check out we love that and then do get in touch with us we'd like to hear from you but for now until next time bye bye